We want to welcome all of our viewers to another episode of Minority Report with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with leaders in media, business, and tech. And today, joining us is Ziad Ahmed, founder and CEO at Juve Consulting. Let's jump in and get to know Ziad. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. It's a heavy and crazy time to be alive, but doing okay and trying to focus on taking action and leaning into compassion. How are you? feel the same. We feel the same. And then we'd love to, to hear about all of the things that, that you're doing uh, specifically as it pertains to that. And maybe for our viewers who may or may not know you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Tell us a little bit about Juve Consulting and a little bit about Ziad. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Ziad Ahmed. I'm from Princeton, New Jersey, where I am right now. And I am 21 years old. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Juve Consulting, which is a Generation Z consulting company where basically clients come to us to figure out how to better understand and market to young people and we help them do that. And we're a purpose-driven company that exists to empower young people. That's why we exist and who we are. And I started the company four years ago when I was in high school on the heels of starting a nonprofit that still exists called Redefy. And Redefy is a by teens for teens social justice advocacy group that creates resources and information to make communities and schools more equitable and inclusive. And I started Redefy when I was, you know, 14, had no idea what the heck I was doing but saw really systemic issues around me and stereotypes and misogyny and racism and all these things. I wanted to do something about it. And so I did. And then it resonated in a way I could have never imagined as we're all dealing with the questions of identity. And through that, found myself eating dinner with President Obama at age 16 and sort of crazy, wild, surreal things happening to me and realizing how often young people are spoken about but not spoken to. And so my junior year of high school, four years ago, I started Juve Consulting with this idea of being that folks should be speaking to us, to Generation Z, if they want to understand and connect with Generation Z. And so it's been a whirlwind experience, to say the least, and never did I imagine that I'd be sitting where I am today, you know, when I started Redefy, when I started Juve Consulting. But I try to keep my work focused on the central belief of my life is that no group of people should ever be talked about without that group of people present and centered in the conversation, full stop, period. And I think I come back to that a lot in my work with progressive advocacy in this moment that we're living in right now. Like, this is a moment to listen to Black voices. This is a moment to listen to the organizers on the ground doing the work. And this is a moment for me to acknowledge my own shortcomings and mistakes, right? And for me as a leader, as a company, me as a leader of a nonprofit, you know, me as a family member, like challenge myself and my various communities to be better. And so that's what I've been spending a lot of time doing. But yeah, that's a little bit about me in a condensed version. I'm also a full-time student. I'm a college student at you know, I go to school, I study political science, and I'm American Muslim. And I just, I learning, figuring things out, you know, and, and, and trying to do the best that I can. That's great. You mentioned identity earlier, and you said American Muslim. Tell us a little bit about your identity, where you grew up, a bit of background and culture and how you grew up. Yeah, so I am American Muslim. My family is Bangladeshi. Uh, I was born and raised in America. And my parents moved to the West when they were young. So I'm like, second and a half generation. I don't know. It's confusing. I grew up in a household where I really wasn't raised to ask the question, am I going to make a difference? But how? You know, that my parents taught me from a really young age that my life was not the rule. It was always the exception to the rule that I was so lucky and so privileged in so many ways, you know, and that most people weren't. And that it was my job to learn about that and to do what I could to help folks in need and to help those suffering and um, there are a few seminal moments, I think, in my upbringing that I can look to to sort of that have influenced me profoundly. Uh, one is just that I have, I think, the best mom and grandmother in the world and being raised by strong women, I think, is everything that I am and who I am. And, right. you know, if I'm a hundredth of the person that they are, I'll be all right, you know. And uh, I went back to Bangladesh for the first time when I was in second grade 
and you know, seeing real poverty for the first time, you know, in my, I had never seen real poverty for the first time prior to that, you know, and just, I couldn't stop thinking about, you know, how is the world for us so unfair? Mm. Who let this happen? Mm. You know, and I think I kept asking those questions my entire life. And I think my faith teaches me to ask those questions. You know, the ummah, this idea of community in Islam is central to who I am and how I carry myself and how I live. And I think that community and believing that we're all connected and that it's my responsibility, you know, as a Muslim, as a human, to give back to those in need and to think really critically about who's suffering and to fight for justice is a core tenet of my family and my faith and, you know, my life perspective. And so I think back to that often. And then I think as I've gotten older, life has gotten more complicated as I think it does for everyone. Um, But I think I have a really strong foundation to build off of because I have an extraordinary family. And that doesn't mean that everything was perfect. You know, my parents were divorced when I was, you know, young and separated and obviously lots of ups and downs as there is in everybody's life. But at the end of the day, I feel really grateful more than anything else, you know, to have my faith, to have my family and to have my future. And that centers me. Awesome. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that. And, and, you know, you, you mentioned uh, sort of fighting for justice and obviously we're going through some very unsettling times here in our country. And, and I know that, you know, you've been out protesting. Can you give Eric and I and, and, the, and, and our listeners a sense of, of sort of uh, the action that you've been taking and how some of the protests have gone? Yeah, absolutely. What I want to start out by saying is that I deserve no validation for anything that I've done. And the people who deserve all the validation and support right now are the Black organizers on the ground who are quite literally fighting for their lives and fighting for justice. And I am trying to play my part as an ally, but this movement is not about me and should not be about me. And so uh, I, I center myself in my privilege and in that reality. That said, I've, of course, taken a number of actions in the last two weeks. You know, Juve Consulting, our company, way before, you know, the big companies did, you know, came out with a statement and said, you know, Black Lives Matter and gave a donation to Color of Change and, you know, took a bunch of internal steps, you know, educating our team on the painful racist history of this country and sending out resources and giving Black folks on our team time off or accommodations or support in unique ways. This is a tremendously heavy moment for me as a non-Black person, what it would mean to be Black and to be experiencing this. Like, I cannot imagine, I cannot understand, but I can do everything in my power as an ally and as a leader to show up for the mm-hmm. fact that I know that that suffering is real and happening. And so a lot of that and a lot of hard internal conversations, you know, with my family, with my friends, calling out the casual racism and things that we cannot sweep under the rug and, you know, encouraging folks to be a part of the solution and be part of the change wherever and however possible. And so a lot of those actions. And then recently, uh, a few days ago, Troop Consulting announced that we gave $10,000 across Campaign for Youth Justice to Black Lives Matter New York and to Color of Change. And Black Lives Matter New York is headed up by Nupal Kiazola, who's a close friend who's only 19 years old. And I've been spending a lot of my time working with Nupal and supporting Nupal's work as an individual and as a company and et cetera. And there's just a tremendous amount of youth, you know, on the front lines, really organizing from Chelsea Miller to Nupal Kiazola or Eva Lewis, all these people. And so, you know, supporting them and amplifying their work has been a lot of what the last two weeks have looked like from, 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 for me and using my platform to amplify Black voices and to speak out about these issues and to champion policy solutions that push us forward. And, you know, giving as an individual to, you know, 20 plus organizations and bail funds and grassroots organizations and, you know, all the steps of ways that, you know, you can show up as an ally doing all of them and more and, you know, checking in on, you know, the folks around me who I know are impacted and who are hurting and feeling. And I know that this moment is, is complicated for so many reasons, right? Because right? of the Black folks around me and, for, you know, even for me, like, this isn't new. Right. Like we knew this was happening. You know, like police brutality is not new. Systemic racism is not new. But 
this moment is different for so many reasons and people are really, in a way, I, never in my life did I think I would live to see the day that Mitt Romney marched with Black Lives Matter. <laughs> Let me tell you, I, I never thought that I would see the day that Minneapolis would dismantle police. Like, if you told me three weeks ago that defunding the police was really possible, you know, it, I would never have believed you. Yeah. And this mobilization, I've never in my lifetime, my 21 years, you know, I've supported Black Lives Matter for, you know, five, I don't know, for as long as I've, you know, been a sentient political human, maybe since 13, 12 years old, but it used to be radical just to say it, you know, just to, to, yeah. to, to support the organization. I remember the conversations I used to have in my high school and the same kids that scoffed at me for the mention of social justice in high school are now protesting and posting black squares. And on one hand, I'm motivated and encouraged and heartened, you know, by yeah. how many people are speaking up and taking action. On the other hand, I'm like, is this real? Right? And, and, and do you mean it? And where are the receipts? And yeah. is, is this, are you hopping on a trend or are you going to follow us up with monthly donations and long-term action and systemic, you know, systemic yeah. change? Because Rome wasn't built overnight. Right. right? Right, and dismantling right. a system of 400 years of oppression and anti-blackness and state violence and misogyny and transphobia and homophobia, we're not going to dismantle the whole system overnight. Right. Like, work is long and lifelong. And I really hope, right, that we're in this for the long haul in terms of undoing these systems and dismantling these systems that hurt so many. But I also hope that we stay focused on uplifting you know, rather than a lot of the rhetoric that I'm seeing is ugly and mean, you know, I think that there is a politic of love and a politic of support and amplification that is, you know, what I lean into, you know, in, in, in my day to day, what we hope to lean into as a company and as a community, whether it be Redify or do consulting or the folks around me. And so I'm tepidly and cautiously optimistic. I have never seen things change quite this quickly before and this many people mobilize, you know, in the midst of a pandemic. And I think there's so many complicated factors that go into that, but certainly yeah. I've spent a lot of time thinking about how I can be better, how my communities can be better, challenging myself on my past mistakes. I've, you know, messed up and I'm not perfect and we are, we all have. And so I think taking stock in that and, you know, really being critical of ourselves and our communities is essential right now, but really remaining focused that there, there has to be real change that we're working towards. This can't right. just be yeah. right now. And so that's what, you know, I'm just trying to take action and lean into compassion, like I said, and, and chug along. Yeah, and, and that, I mean, you touched on something that I was thinking about there in terms of this is all great in the short term, but how do we sort of maintain this energy? Yeah. Right? And and I think, I think you know, you, you touched on something that I think is important for all of us to do, which is to look internally and see what each and every one of us can do to sort of make sure that we keep moving forward, we keep yeah. the momentum, and we have a sustained effort here. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think that, like, you know, from a company perspective, as, you know, a, CEO, a 21-year-old CEO of a startup that's doing decently well, you know, like, I have had to ask myself hard questions, but I think that they've been easier for me to ask because, you know, I started this company with majority people of color, with majority women, with queer folks, you know, with Black leaders. And so, and I started this company with a why. We exist to empower young people. I know why I wake up every day to do my work, mm. you know, and... We exist to empower back black young people because a huge percent of Gen Z is black, you know, in this country. And so I believe we are best when we listen to young people. I believe we are at our best when we listen to black young people. And that's always been true of our, us as a company. And what I think is 
challenging about this moment is having so many people being like, you know, we always stood against racism. Did you? Was that really true? Right. Right. right? And I think there needs to be a reckoning. And I think we're having a reckoning of, you know, it is not enough to just say things. We have to do things and we have to mean it. And it can't just be a donation either. It's how we talk about the issues, you know, when no one's looking, right? right? It's the cultures that we cultivate, right? It's the way we make people feel, Mm -hmm. right? It's the little things. Like when I don't accept a panel because I'm not content with the diversity on it, like I don't publicize that. I just do it because it's the right thing to do. Right, right. It's the little ways that you move through the world conscience of your privilege you know like i i, I always have weird conversations with, i i because i navigate a lot of bizarre circles right like i spend a lot of time with the activist community and with young activists but also with like the biggest capitalists in america and the biggest corporations in america and so like navigating these different spaces and it's bizarre to me sometimes because i'm so conscious like of my race and of my gender and etc because i spent so much time in these circles but mm-hmm. you know i'll be talking to one of my people that i work with and you know there'll only be two women in the room and i'll be like oh did you notice something like no you know and like we have to notice these things and to call them out, right? And to challenge them. And I think that what I hope this moment makes us realize is that we haven't a lot, not everyone, but a lot of folks have not been paying enough attention and we need to be because a lot of people are suffering and it's quite literally claiming lives. Yeah. You know, let me ask you a question. You've accomplished so much and you have I, don't, to- I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Well, with, with your business, uh, I, I think having achieved quite a bit and there's so much more to do. I'm curious about you personally. You know, have you ever experienced discrimination like personally and how did you deal with that? Yeah. So I've gotten this question, you know, quite a number of times throughout my journey. And I personally, you know, feel very, I don't ever want to paint myself as a victim. You know, I have been so lucky and privileged and I come from financial security, you know, and I went to private school and I go to a private university and I have been so profoundly lucky in so many ways. And I know that I have had privileges and advantages that the vast majority of folks, you know, have not had. But of course, at the same time, and I, and I don't want to sensationalize, sensationalize my story, you know, but of course, at the same time, of course, there have been moments, you know, when people have said things that they should not have said, you know, and when people have made me feel small or when I was having ridiculed for my faith or for my race or whatever it might be. And especially as an American Muslim, as an outpour, outspoken American Muslim on social media, I mean, like, the number of, you know, if, my, if a tweet gets more than, you know, 20 retweets, you know, I'm going to get some level of DM or response or email, you know, that's Islamophobic in some capacity. And that's just sort of the name of the game, which is so unfortunate and ugly and sad that I yeah, think for yeah. a lot of women, for people of color, for plus size folks, or Muslims, or people of faith, you know, for people of queer folks, like for trans folks, et cetera, like just existing is exhausting. And I have it better than most, but there have definitely been many moments when it feels like I can't win, when it feels like people will never see beyond my name, you know, and the jokes that people make and, you know, the insensitivity and the cruelty and the number of people who will never see me as American because I am Muslim and I am proudly Muslim. So for someone listening that may have gone through sort of a similar experience that, that you've gone through, right? Like, what advice would you give them to sort of handle that and push forward, right? Because that, that's the most important part, right? Yeah. How do we respond and how do we keep pushing forward? Well, look, I'm always weary of giving advice because I'm still figuring it out. But I think I can share what's been helpful to me in the hope yeah. that it's helpful to somebody else. Social media is a lot of things. And 
building a nonprofit and building a company, you know, and building a profile, you know, starting at age 13, you know, on social media, I did not know what I was signing up for. Let me just tell you. Mm. And I think I got a taste, you know, when I first launched Redefy in September of 2013, which feels like a lifetime ago. You know, people were mean on Ask FM. You know, mostly like everyone was supportive, but Ask FM, I don't know if you're familiar, an anonymous asking platform, you know. I got some mean comments. It really, you know, got to me. Yeah. It made me think, and I learned a lot from them. You know, I was challenged, like, who are you to do this? I was like, well, who am I to do this? You know, and it made and it made me be a better leader and a better person because I think we learn a lot from the critique. And people are not always kind to me and have not always been kind to me especially on the internet and especially because of my race or religion or things like that, primarily religion or politics. And what I try to remember at least is that I don't do anything that I do for the validation. Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful for the validation that I've received, but I don't do it for that. I do the work that I do because I believe in it, because I enjoy it, because I love my teams, because I want to change the world, you know? And like, because I believe in the power of stories to do so. And so I try to remain centered on like what my goals are. And like at the end of the day, I have my integrity. And so I sleep sound at night, you know, like I'm proud of the vast majority of choices that I've made, you know, I've made and I'm proud of the person that I am. And so that keeps me centered. And I also think that, but at the same time, like I don't want to normalize it. Like I, I think part of it for me, like the coping mechanism has been normalizing it, you know, like that, like, this is just how it is as a Muslim in the, you know, like you're going to get Islamophobic remarks and anti-Muslim bigots, you know, trolling you. But it's unfortunate that I had to do that. And it's unfortunate that like every Muslim or like every person of color or every woman has to like have like a bunch of statistics, you know, ready to like disprove these like, you know, horrible statements that are made. And like, we feel like they defend everyone who looks like us and sounds like us. And like, we just want to live and be ourselves. And so I think from a very young age, I was asked to like be able to defend my faith in totality, you know, and like, was that, you mentioned a couple of strong figures in your life, like, like your mom and strong female figures, almost like mentors or where, where did you learn that strength from, you know? Yeah, certainly my mom and my grandma, but also just so many people in my life have been, you know, from teachers to librarians to friends. And like I said, I've been so lucky and I've met so many wonderful folks throughout my journey who you know, taught me different things who've made me stronger and made me smarter and made me more sensitive. But I think that one thing that I've learned a lot in the last year is that you truly have no idea what other people are going through. Right. And I think I used to be angrier at the hate, you know, what or the disagreements or whatever it might be. And I try now to come from a place of compassion that for whatever reason, you were taught different than me. And, and I don't always get this right. I need to do a better job. I'm not going to get very far if I talk down to folks. Right. You know? right. I'm not going get, to get very far in changing the things that I want to change if I start from a place that isn't productive. Mm. And so I try to be kind to myself and others. And that's not easy. Uh, you know, and I know it's not for anyone. I'm so privileged in so many ways that like, it should be me that is expending emotional labor to convince other people of things. Like right now, black folks should not have to convince white folks that their lives matter. Mm -hmm. Like that is just not something that I should be expecting of any of my peers, right? But as a non-black person of privilege who 
has learned a lot from the leaders of the movement. It is my job and responsibility, you know, to expend emotional labor right now to do work that pushes us forward. And so I try to think in those terms of like, where can I be helpful to myself and to others and to respond from a place of compassion? But that doesn't mean that I give everyone time of day either. You know, like if someone's threatening to kill me, like I'm not going to engage with that. Like I don't engage with a lot of things on the internet because it's not productive. But there's a lot of wonderful, robust conversation that needs to happen in person, I think especially, that can push us forward. And I try to have those conversations if possible. How do you balance it all? The nonprofit, juve, school, anything else you have going on personally? It's, it's usually a question we like to ask everyone in terms of work-life yeah. balance, right? How are you balancing it all? Yeah, it's certainly a lot. Yeah. But I have the best team in the world. I have the best teams in the world, plural. And anything that I've accomplished is far less to do with me and far more to do with the wonderful people around me. But I also see this is all I've ever known, really. Like, I started a nonprofit when I was at the end of eighth grade, and I've been juggling since I was young. And so this is sort of less like the life that I know and the path that I've chosen for myself. And I also genuinely enjoy the work that I do. And so that makes it easier. And I also think that we're all juggling, right? And everyone's juggling in different ways. But yeah, is it a lot to go to school full time and run a company full time and be the chairman of my nonprofit and engage in progressive advocacy work and have a social life, you know, and God forbid a romantic life and be a son and be a a brother and all of these things that are a part of my life? Like, yeah. And I'd like to believe I do a decent job at all of the above, but sometimes I don't, you know, and I think I do a pretty good job. Overall, I'm proud of myself, but I've done a lot of reflection in the last year especially. I think as we get older, we do that, right? And I think that I've been able to do, you know, a lot of what I've been able to do because I really found my why, you know, I found, you know, what fueled me, you know, and I think a really early age, I think a lot of people spend a lot of time looking for that. Yeah. And so I think I found work that, like, I love storytelling and I love talking as you can probably tell, you know, and I love meeting people and, I love creating campaigns and I love starting things. And I think that I think that this genuine joy for, and I'm also a true extrovert, like a genuine extrovert. Mm -hmm. And that like, I get energy from other people. So it's not exhausting for me to like do this. Like this is energizing for me. Like it's energizing for me to get on the phone call, let's get on the phone with my team in a way that I think a lot of people like, they need time to like recalibrate. Like, no, like this time, like I can then go do 10 emails after this, you know? And so I think that I've been lucky and been handed a decent deck of cards that I'm trying to deal appropriately and responsibly and purposefully, but it's not easy. And I'm constantly trying to figure it out and take better care of myself. And, you know, I want to go running today, but will I have time to go running today? I don't know, but I'd love to have time to go running today. And so, (laughs) you know, a lot of things like that. And like, I'd love to like spend more time with my baby sister, but like, I don't always spend all the time in the world with her. And so, yeah, I, I'm trying, but it's not easy. And I have an amazing team and family and support system. And I love television, which is my happy place. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. What's, what's your favorite show? <laughs> I watch so many TV shows, but I'm really excited for The Politician season two to come out. I love Ryan Murphy's shows. Yeah. All right. Well, one fun question I have for you that, well, they've all been good questions, but uh, one fun question I have for you that I love asking every guest we have on the podcast, which is, Give us the top three apps on your phone that you're using, but you cannot name email or calendar. 
Oh my god. <laughs> Definitely house party. Like house party is like right. a huge part of my life right now in quarantine, mm-hmm. like in social distance world. Yeah. Um, so house party, I spend way too much time house partying my friends and playing the games on house party. I'm obsessed with word race. It's not healthy, but it's fine. <laughs> I may or may not have spent the last three nights up until 3 a.m. playing word race with my friends. So definitely house party. Let me go on my phone and see though what else what comes to mind. And I spend probably too much time on TikTok, but it's kind of cliche and trite of me to say, but it's true. What else? What other, I don't even, do I even like my phone? I don't know. Um, <laughs> you, think? you know what? I will say I'm a big fan of like my notes app is my whole life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like my notes app is truly like I take like a hundred notes a day and then like once a day just compile all of them. Yeah. So notes and house party. Notes, house party and TikTok. And TikTok. That's what. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> well, Ziad, thanks so much for joining us today. We're excited to have you on. And, you know, for anyone that wants to continue the conversation with you, where can our uh, listeners and uh, viewers find you? Yeah, at Ziad Ahmed, Z I A D A H M E D, across Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Feel free to connect with me uh, and contact ziadamed at gmail.com is my email. Uh, happy to, you know, the, what I miss most about, you know, the real world or whatever, the world before March, you know, I keep thinking of a tweet that is like, remember that we're never going back to the world before March. It no longer exists. Yeah. And I, like that tweet like keeps me up at night. But, uh, but in that world in February, I missed, I just missed me. I go to conferences and speak a lot. I miss meeting lots of cool people. So I'd be thrilled uh, to connect with whomever. And we're really grateful to you all and, you know, to the diverse leaders who have disrupted industries in marketing and advertising, especially, but across all industries, it's not easy. You know, being the only person who looks like you in the room, being the only person who advocates on your interests or the interests of people that you love in the room. And I know that. And so I thank you both. And I think the other guests that you've had on, on, on this show and the other people that are in your networks, because I get to do what I do, you know, at 21 years old, I'm a company of diverse young people who are paid you know, to speak our truth to power and to make folks uncomfortable. I do not believe my clients are always right. And I call shit out, right? And I use the language they've never heard before. But like, I have the agency and access to do that because of the diverse leaders like y'all who came before me, right? Who disrupted these conversations and who disrupted these industries and said, you will hear us even if it makes you uncomfortable, right? And you will be challenged and you will include us. And so I'm just really grateful for you, for your guests, for this community and for people who came before me because I know just how hard this work can be. Well, thanks so much for being a part of it. Also, we'd love to have you come back as the weeks and months sort of go on. It'd be fun to have you come back and join us. No, absolutely. I'd be thrilled to. And and however I can be helpful to you guys and whoever listening, I want to be, especially to Black folks and Black leaders right now, like to whatever extent I can spend my privilege and access an agency, I need to and want to. So please give me a shout if I can be helpful at all. Thanks a lot. Everyone, thanks for listening and watching. You can access us everywhere you find your audio and your video. Thanks again.